and whose children are uninterested in Jesus Christ, many times because they're starving to death spiritually. If you live in the Pooler Rinkin area and you're ready for a change, go to Community Bible Church, all one word, communitybiblechurch.us slash Pooler, and fill out an interest survey for our new satellite campus. By God's grace, we hope to open in the early spring of 2016. And if you can help me find a meeting place, maybe you have a building that you can loan us or a facility you can rent far below market price, or maybe you're in a church that's on the verge of extinction and you need help, I believe we can work together. Call me directly at 843-525-0089. That's 843-525-0089. May the Lord bless you as you walk with him and love his son. This is the Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally or outside the immediate area, call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now let's join Dr. Carl Brogy. Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. We welcome you this hour to the Bible line. If you're a first-time listener for the next hour, we will be taking people's questions uh, concerning their study of Scripture. Maybe there's a biblical challenge you're facing or a personal issue in your life or ministry that you would like biblical counsel on. If we can help you, all you need to do is pick up the phone. Again, locally, it's 843-525-1859. For our Internet listeners, if you'd like to use the toll-free number, it's 877, the call letters of our station, WAGP 980. We also receive uh, emails each week, uh, many times as we are on the air. And if you would like to email us directly, you can at TBL. That stands for the Bible line, TBL at W. WAGP.net. When you call, you can go on the air live, or if you're more comfortable, you can simply uh, dictate your question to our receptionist, and she'll type it on the monitor here in front of us, and we'll respond to it. Uh, so, Rick, let's go ahead, and we'll get started today. Indeed, Pastor. We've got a live caller standing by. Let's go to them now. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Good morning, and I uh, hope you guys are having a, a great day. It's beautiful. God has uh, provided a beautiful canvas for us to, to uh, look at, and I get the pleasure of riding around listening to you all on the radio and uh, enjoying the beautiful sunshine, and I uh, hope you guys are having a, a, as good a day as I am. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Tell me how uh, we can help today. Okay. Well, Pastor Brogy, you've helped me. I can't even begin to tell you how much. Um, I've learned about expository preaching through you. Um, I stumbled upon you on the radio, riding around, doing my job. Um, uh, I have grown so much, and I can't thank you enough. Uh, I've learned things that I didn't didn't even know I needed to learn from you. And uh, I listened to uh, many of your um, bibliology and different... uh, different uh, uh, programs that you have, you know, uh, specifically. Um, So I quote you a lot. Uh, I have utmost respect for you. Now, I heard yesterday, uh, I don't know if that was a repeat sermon or was that live yesterday at your church, uh, 
the marriage sermon. It, it was a uh, well. It's a, it's a rebroadcast that you hear yesterday. Yes. Okay, that's what I was um, thinking. Um, you had mentioned in there something that uh, I just uh, needed to find out about. Um, you had mentioned uh, something about T.D. Jakes, and I wanted to make sure I heard it correctly, that um, he had uh, came out in favor of homosexual marriage. I thought I heard you say that. Was that correct? That's right. So uh, let me, let me respond uh, specifically because... You know, sometimes people say, hey, does he really, has he really come out on, you know, homosexual marriage? Where does he stand? Uh, What is his official position? And unfortunately, he has. Now, what very often happens, it's like with um, Joel Olstein when he's interviewed with Larry King live. He uh, denies three times when asked directly, if you type in Larry King slash Joel Olstein, it will bring up the interview. It's still online. And he's asked directly three times, do you believe Jesus is the only way to God? And, and I think he's, he's almost shocked that he initially says no. He asked him a second time. He asked him a third time. So he gives him three chances and he says no. Um, so sometimes, you know, people then will back up when he got thousands and thousands of letters he said, well, that's not what I really meant. This is what I meant. And he knew financially there were some uh, ramifications to that unless he came back out. But again, the mouth speaks what's in the heart. It's one thing to be misquoted. And I hate being misquoted, and I very often get misquoted. Uh, it's quite another thing to definitively say what you believe. So um, he's being interviewed, T.D. Jakes, by uh, Huffington Post, obviously not a stalwart of conservatism. But I love to read the liberal magazines in newspapers. I like to read the New York Times because I like to know what the, um, you know, more liberal mind is thinking. Uh, in, in politically, when we say liberal, we often mean the same in terms of spiritual realms. Uh, it, obviously, evangelical Christians are not liberal politically. What makes someone liberal politically? Well, usually a liberal theology makes them liberal politically. And so um, there's obviously exceptions, and it's not an issue of Republican, Democrat. Uh, I, I'm a Christocrat. You know, I, I want to vote in a way that's honoring to the Lord Jesus. And, of course, in the Democrat Party, though, they favor abortion, they favor homosexual marriage. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton just came out yesterday with an ad uh, showing in her ad two lesbian women kissing. This is a political ad. And, you know, at the end, I, you know, Hillary Clinton approved this ad. Uh, that's so sad. But that's where our nation is. So a person's theology also flavors their political views. That's not to say that there aren't born-again Democrats who are conservative in their thinking. But they're far and few between because the Democrat platform is really an anti-God platform. It's against our basic values. So I say all that to say that he's being interviewed by a very liberal correspondent, but he's interested to really try to know. So his name's Mr. Hill, and he, and he says um, he wants him to know what his position is on uh, gay marriage. And he, he asked him a question whether the black church could coexist with the gay community. And I'll quote T.D. Jakes specifically. Absolutely. 
I think it's going to be diverse from church to church. Every church has a different opinion on the issue. And every gay person is different. I think that to speak that the church, the black church, the white church, or any kind of church you want to call it are all the same is totally not true. So that's how he responds. Um, but does, his, does he really answer the question that's being asked? It, it seems apparent, and you can watch the interview online on YouTube, it seems apparent to me that Mr. Hill, you know, to paraphrase the question, he basically says, you know, we know that black churches are largely conservative on the issue of homosexuality. And by the way, over a thousand evangelical black pastors opposed our president. And I was so encouraged by that, that they stood up for what was right. We need more white pastors to do that. We know that black churches are largely conservative on the homosexual issue. So he's asking, can the gay community and the black church really coexist? And, you know, to say that every church is different and every church has an opinion on the subject is to say really nothing. I mean, we all know that some churches are gay affirming and some are not. And we know that churches, you know, have all kinds of opinions on all kinds of different subjects. But the reason Mr. Hill, who's interviewing him, was asking this question was because he was looking for T.D. Jakes to make clear specifically what he believed on those issues. And just because a church has an opinion, of course, doesn't mean that there's any biblical support for that position. And that's the day that we live in, a day of apostasy. And so... Um, you know, uh, what's your position on homosexual marriage? Has it changed? Well, he says it's evolved and it is evolving. Oh, really? Your position is evolved and it is evolving? Listen, the, the word of God is static. It doesn't evolve. God said what he meant. He, he meant what he said. And so he, he takes really a very liberal view. He had an opportunity to say homosexuality is wrong it is a sin, and now he's been challenged by a number of Christian leaders since the interview came out to make specifically clear what he meant, and he has refused to do that. So here's my take on it. If a man refuses to make clear what he believes, then he has really stated what he has believed, and he wanted to leave the impression and he clearly left it. And if you go in online and you look at the interview, anyone watching the interview would say he's in favor of gay marriage. And you just read the comments that come and every person is either I'm so deeply disappointed. I can't believe he's apostatized from the faith. He made really clear. So that was the impression that he left with the listening public. And then if he had a chance to correct it, it's much like Andy Stanley. The, the pastor of a large mega church in the Atlanta region with multiple campuses. You know, he does a sermon in April of, let's see, it would be April 2013 on, it's called When Gracie Meets Truthy. And it's a very well thought through uh, illustration. And he has the opportunity to uh, say specifically you know, uh, about what he thinks concerning homosexual marriage. If I can just uh, summarize the illustration, he's got two gay men who are in his church and he has to ask these two gay men not to serve as ushers because they're both married and because they're living together as men and they're still married to their wives that they're committing adultery. And you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You were saying they can't serve because they're committing adultery? And so to make a long story short, at the end of the uh, whole process, he talks about a Christmas Eve service where 
One wife who's been now divorced is remarried, and these two gay men are now living together, and it's all happily ever after. And he never comes out and says homosexuality is wrong, and now these two gay men, because they're no longer married to their wives, can serve in the church. It's, it's, it's astounding to me that anyone can even take that position. So Andy Stanley, like T.D. Jakes, people say this can't really be true. See, I'm not surprised by T.D. Jakes and that he's had a faulty view on the Trinity for decades. He, he, his view on the Trinity is not the historical view of Christianity, that the Godhead is, is one God who exists in co- three co-equal, co-eternal persons. Co-equal, co-eternal persons. That's what the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, what every historical creed in the history of the church has affirmed. And so his view of the Trinity is the Father becomes the Son at times. The Son then becomes the Spirit. The Spirit becomes the Father. But they're not co-equal, co-eternal persons. It's a heretical view on the Trinity. And when he is given the opportunity to really be challenged and to think through his thinking, he doesn't change his thinking. And when he's given the opportunity to repent of his position on homosexual marriage, he doesn't repent. He doesn't come out and say, well, you know, I was misunderstood. This is what I really meant. So he says, um, he says, for instance, uh, let me see if I can find the quote here. He says, um, LGBTs of different types and sorts have to find a place of worship that reflects what your views are and what you believe like anyone else. That's what he says in the interview. You can watch it. It's online. LGBTs of different types and sorts have to find a place of worship that reflects what your views are and what you believe like anyone else. That's the counsel of a servant of God. Regardless of what you believe, just find a place that agrees with your views and make yourself at home. That's what he said. Um, it's, it's appalling. He said the church should have the right to have its own convictions and values, of course. If you don't like those convictions and values, you totally disagree with it, then don't change my house. Move into your own and find somebody else who gets what you get about faith. Look, he should have said, if you're an LGBT person and you're in this lifestyle, you need to go to a church that's going to teach you the truth, not a church that tells you what you want to hear. And so what he, he, took a, he took a heretical position, and this is the days that we live in, and this is the day that the Apostle Paul prophesied. Also in that same sermon, I mean, who would have ever thought, you know, when I was a new Christian, I used to read Christianity Today every month, and it was kind of the Time magazine of evangelical Christianity. Uh, you could learn a lot of what was going on in the Christian world and uh, what people were thinking and And of course, uh, they came out in the June issue, a leading so-called Christian psychologist, not Dr. Dobson, but another leading Christian psychologist uh, comes out and says that, you know, uh, you may be transgender. And he speaks against, first, those who say there's no such thing as transgenderism. That's me. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as being a transgender person. There's no such thing as fluidity of the sexes. 
you want to know what your sex is, look between your legs. That's the way God made you. It has nothing to do with, well, you know, I'm a female, but I, I think I'm a male now. Or I'm in trans. That's just sheer uh, heresy, and it's a form of moral wickedness. Um, in either case, Paul said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He had that opportunity, T.D. Jakes is a servant of God. But then he gives a word of prof- a prophetic word. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth. And so that's what's happened. People want teachers, be it an Andy Stanley or a Perry Noble with the New Spring Movement or a T.D. Jakes. The, the, the mega church has become the new liberalism in America. And they are departing from historical Christianity. So when a Rick Warren argues for Chrislam, that's heresy. That is sheer heresy. And we have more and more people who are departing from historical Christianity. And if you speak against these people, you, you know, you, you basically crushed one of their idols and people come unglued. You know, Perry Noble now has the second largest church in America. And he's here in South Carolina with 30,000 some people. And what has he done? He's destroyed dozens and dozens of dozens small churches. All these Southern Baptist churches he's emptying out. Now, I blame partially the pastors for that because they haven't grounded some of their people in the Word of God. And so they're easily sucked into a Perry Noble movement. And now he's opened up a branch in Bluffton. And I'm sure he'll come to Buford, and I'm sure he'll have one on Hilton Head. And, you know, he, he, his goal is to have 100,000 South Carolinians in his churches. And these little churches, you know, 75, 100, 125 people, the average church in America is 75 people. They're down to 8 and 10 people. And they can't keep the doors open anymore. And the money that they were giving to world missions through things like the cooperative Baptist program, um, the cooperative program, not cooperative Baptist. They're a heretical group. Uh, they are break off from Southern Baptist. We have two in our community. It's a shame, but again, it's the day that we live in. You can't go anymore by the label. You know, it says Southern Baptist or it says Presbyterian. You don't know anymore if they really believe that. We got two Presbyterian churches here in Beaufort that are now in favor of gay marriage. You know, this is the day that we live in. And we, we need to wake up as God's people and we need to be warned. So Perry Noble has a woman preacher in his pulpit and then he gives six reasons why it was okay when some people get kind of upset. Most people didn't, um, but a few did. And so he responded on his blog and I read those six reasons and someone called and asked a question on it a couple of weeks ago and I ticked off the six reasons and showed how every reason that he gave was wrong. But you see, People who don't know their Bible anymore can listen to a Perry Noble or a T.D. Jakes or an Andy Stanley and just believe what they're saying because they do not have any further a uh, some kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, plumb line in which to base what they believe and why they believe it. And so if you don't know your Bible well and you can't put your Bible through the biblical sieve, of scripture, then you can easily adopt heresy. 
So, like Andy Stanley, he, he made a comment a few months ago on Adam and Eve. And what he said was heretical. heretical. He, he, he affirms the historicity of Adam and Eve, and I'm glad he says it, but not because Genesis says it. Let me, here's a direct quote from him. I just pulled it up. The foundation of our faith is not the scripture. Really? It's not. The foundation of our faith is not the scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always who is Jesus. That's always the issue. The scripture is simply a collection of ancient documents that tell us that story. Uh, Is that how you would describe the word of God? A collection of ancient documents? Here's why I believe that Adam and Eve were real people. Not because the Bible says so, but because Jesus said so. Jesus talks about Adam and Eve. Look, everything we know about what Jesus believed and everything that we know about Jesus Christ, we find in the scriptures. The scriptures are the foundation of our faith. So, you know, again, he makes all kinds of statements that through a non-trained mind, and I'm not talking about, you know, you have to have gone to seminary. I'm talking about what Paul says here, a pastor is to do to preach sound doctrine. It's stated over 40 times in the New Testament to teach sound doctrine. The word sound is the Greek word that means healthy. And if people no longer have healthy doctrine, they'll get sucked into all kinds of beliefs. Forget the name it, claim it theology of T.D. Jakes. Forget his heresy on the doctrine of the Trinity. Now he's waffling on what Christian marriage is, and that is sheer heresy. I, I, I got off on a little rant there, Rick, but... The caller asked, so I went for it, and I needed to respond. Let's go to the next caller who's waiting. All right. Thanks, indeed, for holding. Good morning. You are on the Bible line. Good morning, Pastor Brogy. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, I've noticed uh, over the last couple of days the big uh, uproar over Donald Trump uh, saying that there should be a ban on Muslims coming into the country, uh, at least temporarily, after, you know, Paris and this thing in California, and it reminded me of something I listened to on Issues in Education with Bob and Jerry Boyd, where the guest pointed out he felt like the, the, the sure way to take care of ISIS is to attack their holy sites. He pointed out that uh, they believe that Allah will never let anything happen to Mecca, Medina, the Holy Mount, and it might have been one other. He said that if we destroyed those spots, it will be tantamount to their God, Allah, being fallible, but the United States doesn't have the guts to do it. Uh, my question is, is, what is the balance of what we as a country should do as far as not being too weak and not being uh, too extreme? Well, it's a good question. You know, obviously the three holiest sites in Islam are, you know, Mecca, they're in Saudi Arabia, uh, the uh, Alaska Mosque there in Jerusalem, and a second uh, mosque of sorts also in Saudi Arabia. Uh, These are like, you know, this is it for them. Uh, I would just say this, you know, I I don't know that... um, what Trump said was necessarily all that bad. There are some issues, some constitutional issues that are near and dear to me. You know, when he talks about, well, you should, you know, monitor mosques and this and that. Well, I'm sure they're probably already doing that. 
because there are some clerics in our own country who preach a certain hatred towards America. They have that freedom. That's a constitutional freedom. Uh, This country has never persecuted words or beliefs, just actions. So you can believe, you can say what you want. You can be the most hateful, you know, Ku Klux Klan person in the world and say all kinds of evil things against Jewish and African-American people. But as soon as you do something, that puts it on a whole nother level. So I'm sure our government in a number of ways are already monitoring moss and things like that. But let's just talk for a moment about, you know, Islam, because we talk about, you know, radical jihadist Islam. And the fact of the matter is, is that the people who are so-called radical jihadists are just basically affirming what the Bible actually says. There's 109 verses in the Quran that sanction violence against against Christians and, and Jews. Uh, Christians are called polytheists. And so since we don't worship the one true God, as they would define Allah, that we're worshiping three gods and that we should be destroyed. It's in the Quran. So what's the difference? The, the difference is, is what you see in Christianity today. In Christianity, most quote unquote Christians in America are what we would call nominal Christians. They don't really believe the Bible. And so according to the Pew Research poll, 75% of people who said they were even born again said that the virgin birth belief in it was optional. It was not a, a critical tenet of historical Christianity. Really? Um, you know, forget even those who claim to be born again. Most people in America are just nominal Christians. They are either are ignorant of what the Bible says they're, uh, or they're just insubordinate towards what has been written. And so these people who are radical jihadists, what are they doing? They're doing what evangelical Christians do is that they believe their book word for word. They believe it to be true. The only problem is they're believing the wrong book. And so we can't really underestimate the power of this movement. And yes, I'm in favor of securing the borders. I think that's important. Look, I'm glad that, you know, um, there are people who want to come to this country, but you can't go into Mexico unless you go through a procedure. You can't go into China unless you go through a procedure. There, there are certain, you know, most even European countries I have to fly through. I have to get a visa uh, to be able to get into that country. When I was in India last month, I had to get a visa to enter that country. So you can't just walk in the front door and say, welcome, if you want to live here, fine. No, there, there's a procedure. And historically, we have done the same thing as a nation, though there is certainly uh, some freedom between uh, our Canadian border and the American border. But the fact is, is now everybody and his brother is coming in through the southern border, and we need to secure that. Otherwise, we lose our distinctives as a nation. Is that biblical? Yes. God says it in Acts 17. And he made from every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. He, God, having appointed their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God came up with the idea of um, nations with boundaries. That's a biblical principle, and it's well been said. People think they're being original, but they're not. They're actually being biblical. A nation without borders is not a nation at all. That's a biblical principle that's stated in Acts 17. 
So we need to protect our borders and we need to have some kind of means by which we allow people into this country or not. I mean, Europe is just shouted that to us through the Paris attacks because we know some of the people who pulled that off came in as, quote unquote, Syrian refugees. And now we want to bring all these refugees here into the United States. I mean, the terrorist attack we just had last week here in our own country. Um, If we can't screen people well enough where, you know, they they can't come in. I mean, we're going to screen these Syrian refugees. So, you know, our government needs to wake up and it is, uh, look, what, what they believe is a wicked thing. It's just a wicked thing. If you believe the Quran, you're believing in a, a religion that is really so radically, diametrically opposed to biblical Christianity. It's a different religion. Now, I know in some parts of the world, you know, there are different words for God, obviously. If you're Greek and you live in Greece, you call God Theos. If you live in Israel, you call him Elohim. If you live in um, Russia, you call him Bog. If you live in Saudi Arabia and you're a born-again Christian, you call him Allah because that's the Arabic word for God. But the Allah of the Bible that born-again Christians in Saudi Arabia believe and they're a minority and they're persecuted and they can't go public because it's a, it's a hateful country towards biblical Christianity, that Allah is totally different from the Allah of the Quran. They don't even begin to compare. I'm not sure that wisdom would dictate blasting away their holy sites. Uh, you, you might just be inciting a revolution. A gentle answer turns away wrath, the Bible says. So in my view, just my initial gut reaction, not having been asked this question before, is I would probably shy away from that because that would seem to incite a revolution of millions and millions of Muslims across the world. Um, So I'm not sure how wise that will be, but there are certainly some steps that we can take that we need to take. And if we don't take the terrorist attacks that we've seen on other soils are going to increase here in the Americas and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Good question. I appreciate it. Let's go to the next one, Rick. 843-525-1859, toll free, 877-924-7980, or email us at tbl at net if you have a question for today's Bible line. Sarah from Rankin, Georgia writes, I have some trouble with the idea of being willing to do anything for God or give up anything for him. Would God tell someone who is not yet born again some things he wants them to give up or do when they do become Christians? And if not, it still bothers me that I can think of some things, not sins, just my occupation, lifestyle, etc., that I wouldn't want to give up. Also, sometimes I think there are changes I need to make in my life, and I also think, even think God might be telling me that, yes, I do need to make these changes. The problems are I'm just not willing, and I don't know if someone could become a true Christian with an attitude like that. I'm not 100% sure if it is God telling me these things. Well, you're raising a lot of really good issues here. And so let me see if I can respond. Uh, It is true that as Jesus promised, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so when the gospel is presented to people, unless they really believe that they are a sinner, uh, they will not come to a savior. 
And many times the Spirit of God puts his finger on a specific area of your life to show you your need for a Savior. But please understand what the Bible does not say. It does not say clean up your act so that you can come to Christ. It does say and teach, so to speak, come to Christ so that he can clean up your act. It doesn't say clean up your act to come to Christ. Jesus said you can't. In John 8, he said the man who sins is a slave to sin. So certainly we do not want to muddy the grace of God and front load the gospel with works and to make the gospel something less than it is. And sometimes those in the Lordship Salvation Camp have done this. And they're inconsistent because if you listen to them carefully, they have one gospel for, say, an adult and a different gospel for a little child. It's true. You know, they have a different gospel for a little child. Can a little child come to genuine faith? Yes. What are they? How does it happen? Well, they they feel guilty over disobeying mom. They feel guilty over telling a lie to dad. Uh, They feel guilty for fighting with their sister and the spirit of God convicts a seven or eight year old. They're not on drugs. They're not in an illicit lifestyle, but they feel the guilt and the tug and the pull of the spirit of God in their heart. And the parent recognizes that and they see an open opportunity in which to share Jesus Christ. So when you come to the Lord Jesus, he may put your, he may put his finger on something to show that you're a sinner. And many times when I am conversing with a person, it becomes obvious to me. Um, it, it becomes plain. And so I will address the issue. I don't hide or skirt around the issue. And sometimes people will tell me, well, they're born again and, and they're homosexual. I say, you know, I don't really think you're born again. It's kind of an oxymoron to say that you are practicing homosexual and that lifestyle has never changed. And for you to say you're born again. Uh, do not be deceived. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Whenever God says, do not be deceived, he says that because he knows that there's a potentiality for us to be deceived. So when he says, do not be deceived, we better listen because people are easily deceived. And the thing about people who are deceived is they don't know they're deceived. And that's the nature of deception. So Paul is pulling back the false belief system that some people have so they can see really the truth. Do not be deceived. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor drunkards, nor the covetous, nor thieves, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you, but God saved you. So God can save anyone in any kind of sin. So when a couple comes and they, they're living together. And I remember being in Port Royal many, many years ago. And I went to a home because they requested a home visit as the pastor, I went with someone with me. I never go alone. And when I came into that home, I had the opportunity to ask the diagnostic questions. And at some point in the conversation, because I had two visitor cards with two different last names on it, but the same address. So I couldn't just like ignore that issue. And I said to, and by the way, the woman answered the questions perfectly. Why? Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He didn't have a clue as to what the gospel was. In either case, I said, now I notice you uh, listed the same address, but you have last names. Is that because, you know, you're retaining your, your maiden name? And I know some women do that. 
And I understand a lost woman doing that. I don't understand a woman who is born again doing that, at least if she understands the scripture. He doesn't take your name. You take his name. Why? You are acknowledging a biblical principle of male headship, that the man is the head of the home. That's what Paul says, just as the father is the head of Christ. They're equal, but they have different roles within the marriage. So that whole idea of a man taking uh, of a woman taking her man's, her husband's last name comes really right out of the scripture. Well, as it turns out, they're living together and they've been living together for a couple of years. And I said, well, do you think you're really born again? And as we talked, she said, no, I guess I'm really not. And he knew he wasn't. So when you're aware of an issue like that and the spirit of God makes you aware of the issue, then you confront the issue because It's an issue of whether or not they might come into the kingdom of God or not. You see, the heart of all sins is an attitude of heart. Um, It's it's to basically summarize it. I I like to say the, the cause of sins, plural is sin singular. What is sin singular? Sin singular is the attitude that Jesus describes in a parable that he Uh, tells in Luke's gospel is unique to the gospel of Luke. And he's describing basically the nation of Israel and their attitude towards him and their unbelief. And it's found in um, Luke chapter uh, 18. And in the parable that he describes, they basically Luke 19, they, uh, he comes a certain nobleman, the nobleman in the parable, if you know it is the Lord Jesus he went to a distant country, namely Israel, to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And so he calls uh, 10 of his slaves and they gave him 10 minas and they said, and he said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens, speaking of the people of Israel in the parable, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And of course, if you know the parable, uh, the 10 who were given different amounts of uh, money to manage a talent here, not being or 10 minus much like a Matthew, it's a monetary sum and two are faithful. One is not. He buries it in the ground, showing that he really was not living for God and had not been born again. And then the citizens who said, we don't want him to reign over us. They're cast in essence into the lake of fire in the end. So that's the spirit of unbelief. We don't want God to be our Lord. And so when you come to Christ, the spirit of God puts his finger very often on some sin issue. There's some conviction of sin. And it might be a specific act of rebellion. It might just be the general attitude. We don't want him to reign over us. And when he does that, he is showing us our need for forgiveness for this rebellion to be dealt with. But you see, you have no power in yourself to deal with that rebellion. It's only through the regenerating work of the spirit of God that doesn't happen prior to salvation. As some of my reformed friends falsely teach, it happens at the moment of salvation in him. You also having believed, having heard the message of truth, um, you know, you're regenerated. So you hear and you receive the truth by believing in it and you're born again of the spirit. And then you have the capability and the capacity to change. So I think, you know, there was a catch 22 here. Uh, This person from Rinkin who's like, well, can I become a Christian? Because I'm not so sure that I can give up all these things. 
Well, you don't know half of what God is asking you to give up. In fact, there are hundreds of commands in the New Testament that are given to save people to deal with sin. If it's all perfected at the moment of conversion, then why do we have all these exhortations? One of the passages that come to mind is in Acts chapter 19. And Paul comes to Ephesus. The church has already been uh, founded. And it says, um, let me see if I can find it here. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and losing disclosing their practices and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all and they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing these are people who had been saved if you look at the chronology of Acts for two years and two years after their conversion they're dealing with some some wicked things that God calls wicked in the Torah, and yet they've been saved two years. So there is an initial act of lordship when we come to Christ. And again, you know, you don't tell a little seven-year-old boy, is Jesus both your Lord and Savior? You know, they're convicted of sin. And what do they have to know? That they're a sinner, uh, that they can't save themselves, and that only Jesus can save them. Now, if a person in their heart says, well, you know, I am... um, I am a homosexual or I'm an adulterer and I want Jesus as my savior because I want to be forgiven, but I have absolutely no intention of changing my homosexuality or my adultery or whatever sin you're dealing with. That person is deceived if they think they can come to Christ in those terms, because what they're really saying is I want what Jesus can give me, but I don't want him. And you can't separate his work from his person. It would be like me marrying my wife and say, well, I want you to marry me so you can, um, you know, cook my meal every night when I come home from dinner and make my bed and clean the house. And, but I don't want to have a relationship with you. No woman in her right mind would agree to that kind of thing. You can't separate what a, how a person serves you from who the person is. You can't separate the fact of how Jesus served you for the son of man did not come to be, be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many from who he is. He is Lord and Savior. And you're not really coming to Christ for forgiveness if you're not acknowledging that that sin that the Spirit of God has put his finger on is evil. So I would say to Sarah from Rinkin, I think you are putting the horse behind the cart instead of in front of it. And I think you're concerned, well, you know, um, I'm not sure I could do anything. And I, and I think the fact is, is that you are saying that out of a heart that's unregenerate. That's the way an unregenerate heart would think. Of course, you're not sure. And you won't be sure until you're born again. But once you are born again and you understand really who God is, I mean, if someone really loves you and, they, and you know that this person really, truly loves you, and cares deeply for you. You understand that they have nothing but your best at heart. And when you really understand, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, that Christ died for us, that he has nothing but our best at heart. And so you're concerned about future decisions that you really can't even begin to make until you're regenerated by the Spirit of God. 
And so the homosexual who says to me, well, pastor, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gay and I don't see how I could not be gay. Well, are you willing to believe what this verse says that for a man to lie with a man, that that's an abomination from God? Well, that's what the Bible says. Yes, I'm willing to believe that. So you're willing to call it sin. Yes, I am. So are you willing for God to change your life? Well, yeah, but I don't see how he can. You know, I, I, I've been a gay since I've been 12 years old and, you know, and I'm 52 and I've been gay. I don't see how he can change me. God can change anyone. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So you're trying to anticipate how God is going to change you before you are born again. And remember, the Bible says a natural man does not understand the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised in your unregenerate state. You really can't think through how God is going to do it. But once you're born again, everything changes. He who is spiritual appraises all things. Anyway, I hope that helps. Don't let this be a stumbling block. Come to Christ because you don't have forever. Let's go to the next question. All right, we've got a live caller standing by. Let's go to them now. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Pastor. Morning. Um, With all that's been happening in the past few weeks, with our own Attorney General coming out and really assaulting our First Amendment rights and the President trying to take away some of our Second Amendment rights, And this all coming from a party that says it's perfectly fine to kill millions of babies and take our tax dollars and and support an organization like Planned Parenthood. Frankly, Pastor Brogy, sometimes the only encouragement I get is coming to church and hearing the Word of God teached or taught the way it should be taught. Um, I think this world is spiraling down from everything you've taught us at church. I believe the end is near. Um... Uh, and as you said, there, there's not one prophecy left to be fulfilled before Christ comes back. And it, it's, it's, it's a little disheartening at times, but, but then I think that I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't live in this world. I'm just a stranger passing through. My home is in heaven. I just like your thoughts. Well, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, obviously, we have a dual citizenship. We are called to be responsible citizens in the world that we live in. And the way we do that, Jesus said, is we are salt and light. Uh, Don't hide your light. Men don't put it under a peck measure, under a basket, but they put it up on the lampstand so that everyone in the house can benefit from it. But if the salt has become saltless, and of course the salt in that day, because it was not in the same purified form, that it is given today through the way it's manufactured. The sodium chloride could be bleached out of a block and it would lose its saltiness and it was good for nothing but to fill in potholes. The salt has lost its savor. It's really not good for anything. So God calls us to a dual citizenship. Our citizenship first is as responsible disciples of Christ. We're called to be in the world, not abandon it. And some of the Amish and the Mennonites and others in the history of Christianity have done just that. We're going to go into a holy huddle and we're not going to do anything for God uh, except in our own community. So we don't want to go into a protectionist mindset because Jesus said, look, um, when you see rumors of war and wars, um, you're not to be frightened. These things must take place. And then he gives this whole long list litany of things that have to happen. 
And, of course, he reminds us that lawlessness in the end of time is increased and most people's love will grow cold. Now, he's giving prophecy concerning the second coming. There has never been a prophecy that is needed to be fulfilled for the rapture. It could have taken place in the first century if God so chose for it to take place. And then the remaining prophecies that I have to do with the second coming would be fulfilled thereafter. And so the Bible teaches after the church is removed, the remaining prophecies will be fulfilled. And so there's never been a prophecy for the rapture of the church. But what we've seen in our lifetime is prophecies for the second coming being fulfilled. And when you see prophecies for the second coming being fulfilled and you know the rapture precedes the second coming, then you know the rapture is that much closer. So, you know, for instance, one of the great prophecies in Scripture is found in Ezekiel where God speaks of a regathering of the people of Israel from all across the planet. So first they're physically regathered and then they are spiritually regenerated. We've seen the first half of that prophecy being fulfilled in our lifetime. In one day, a nation was born. It's, in, it's incredible, but it's what God had predicted would happen. And Israel becomes a nation, May 14th, 1948. And of course, so many of the prophecies that surround the second coming of Christ all deal with Israel and events that will transpire in the physical geographical ground of Israel. So as I mentioned um, last Wednesday night, people used to laugh at pastors like me who are 100 years ago who believed the Bible and they spoke about certain prophetic events that would have to take place in Israel for the second coming, not for the rapture, but for the second coming to take place. And of course, Israel had been decimated in 70 AD and had not been a nation since that time. But God fulfilled prophecy and they believed it because God said it would happen, not because they could see it happen, but because God said it would happen. Well, what we're doing is we're seeing things happen. We're seeing the world being given over to a depraved mind. We're seeing the world being made ripe for the judgment of God. We've witnessed in our lifetime in America that God has given up. He gave us over to sensuality. Why? Because we said no God, no praise of God. We said that we outlawed God in our schools, no prayer in the schools, no Bible reading in the schools, no verbal prayers over your lunch in the schools, no Ten Commandments on the walls in the schools, all Supreme Court decisions, four Supreme Court decisions. We said no God. We communicated no God in our science books where the transition began to take place when I was a little boy in grammar school. And uh, the teachers were still saying, well, this is what science says. But, you know, historically, this is what we've believed as a nation. And so the process began, obviously, at the Scopes trials, but it really came into fruition, the practice of it in the 60s. And by the 70s, evolution was full blown and it was basically a denial of God. So we said, no, God, God gave us over to sensuality. We practiced that. We didn't repent. And God gave us over now to degrading passions where men lie with men and women lie with women. The, the, uh, a presidential candidate for the highest office in the land came out yesterday with an ad with two lesbian women kissing. I approve this ad, Hillary Clinton. I mean, unbelievable. Who would have ever thought? And then the final stage is when God gives a nation and really what we're seeing is worldwide. 
to an upside-down mind. And if you want to know the third stage that we've entered into, just read the last 10 verses of Romans chapter 1. And this is what we have to look forward to in America. It's a sad day, but my hope is not in this world because I have dual citizenship. Not only am I a responsible citizen of this earth and I should do everything in my power to reflect that, but I recognize that my hope is not here. And if we think the solution is to get a born again president and a born again Congress, it's not going it, to, that's not the solution. I would love to have people who make laws that reflect that, but that's not going to change 360 million people. The only thing that's going to change the heart of America is God through a second birth and through a revival. And people say, well, I'm praying for revival. Well, you should, but also acknowledge a biblical truth that there is coming a generation where there is going to be no revival. God tells us that. There's going to be a generation where there will be no revival. Oh, but if my people, yes, that's true. But my people aren't humbling themselves and turning from their sin. Why? Because in the last days, men's hearts will grow cold. Lawlessness will increase. The church, the Bible teaches in the final stage will be lukewarm. That most Christians will not be passionate for the living God. So again, that's just reality. I'm not scared by that. Uh, I'm not frightened by it. But I acknowledge for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. So now's the hour to preach the gospel. Reach out. And we're trying to do that as a church. Any men listening? It's a men's only event. You say you're discriminating. Yeah, we are. You know, there are some things that women do and some things that men do when Victoria's Secret converted model came here. We didn't invite the men. It was a woman's event. And we're having a men's wildlife supper. Tim Tebow will be the speaker February the 18th. You have to register to be able to come. To be able to come, you have to bring someone who is unchurched or still considering the claims of Christ. You got to fill out the registration like we asked you to do online. Look, we're not here to feed Christians. We're here to reach as many people as we can while there's still time. Time is running out. So remember, your most important asset, the most critical stewardship you have in these days is to watch over your own heart with all diligence because out of it comes the issues of life. So guard your heart today. Get rid of the filth and begin to fill it with the Word of God. And if you don't have a church home, I'd love to invite you this Sunday to Community Bible Church. We meet at 638 Paris Island Gateway in Beaufort. We also have a campus on the border of Hilton Head and Bluffton. You can go online. We are praying about opening a new campus in Rinkin Pooler. If you have interest in that, go to communitybiblechurch.us forward slash Pooler. And uh, you can express an interest and we'll keep you abreast of the information. We're out of time for the day. Thanks for joining us for the Bible line. May you walk with Jesus Christ and glorify him through your life. 